the Orion Open Science Podcast. I'm Zoe Ingram. And I'm Emma Harris. And today, we're broadcasting to you from Porto in Portugal. We're at the Open Science Fair 2019, the second Open Science Fair. And um, we've been hearing a lot about different kind of policies, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of policy talk, but we're also hoping to find out about some tools that researchers can actually use. And we're going to try and talk to some people about what they're offering. Uh, it is a fair, after all. Yeah. So, looking forward to that. In about a half an hour, the sessions are starting again, and we're going to be walking around and see who's willing to talk to us and share with you guys uh, what's going on. Okay, so we're here with Alan, who's representing Figshare. Could you tell us a little bit about what Figshare is, for those who don't know, and what researchers need to know about it? Sure. Uh, Figshare is a platform where you can share all of your research outputs that don't necessarily fit inside a traditional paper publication. So when you're doing your research, you'll be generating loads of data, loads of code, loads of videos, all those other interesting things that don't necessarily fit uh, into a paper but you should be making them available uh, so other researchers can uh, reuse them, uh, make your research more reproducible, get more impact, and uh, yeah, that's basically it. How easy is it to use Figshare? Super easy. So the first thing that we did when we made Figshare was look at a lot of the other academic systems. And a lot of them, if you wanted to like upload a file, it was like, and here's a metadata uh, form of 100 fields. Whereas like you look at anything else on the web, it's like drag and drop put a little bit of metadata in, make it available. So we were like, let's make it as simple as possible for researchers to make the research available, and then we can build on top of that. So you, you mentioned about impact, and you mentioned about it, it being kind of uh, useful for reproducibility, but in maybe a more kind of philosophical sense, why, why should researchers use Figshare? Like what's the, what was the motivation behind setting it up? Yeah, so there's, there's two different ways to look at it. Uh, one of them is, a lot of funders and governments and publishers and institutions are now starting to mandate that they share their data. So one side of it is you should use it because you have to. And then the other side of it is, uh, so it was uh, created by someone who was doing uh, a PhD, got to the end of his PhD, and then had all this leftover data. And he's like, well, what about all this stuff? Who, who, how do I make this available? And the, the PI literally said like, well, just leave it on like the, the server at the school and the next person who picks up on from your work, they might use it. And he didn't think that was good enough. Like he's, you know, he's, that should be out there. People should be out using it, building on top of it. So yeah, there's two reasons. You have to, and just because it's for the good of society. And how does it look? So do you go and you sign in and you have to make an account and then do you have to put in your credit card number, or how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so to access any of the content, that's all just like freely, openly available uh, under Creative Commons uh, CC BY or CC Zero license, so you can uh, use it without creating an account. If you want to upload something, you can create an account. It's really simple. We don't ask for much information. Uh, it's free. Um, so yeah, and then drag and drop your files, make it available. Super simple. I just wanted to ask, if it's free for users and it's free for those uploading, um, how do you fund it? Is it publicly funded or...? I uh, know we're a commercial company, um, but we work 
uh, with uh, publishers. So most of the major publishers use us, Springer Nature, Wiley, Taylor & Francis, etc., etc. Uh, they license our technology, so they give, they give us money. We also have an institutional offering, so you can get like a, your own institutional version of Figshare, which is a little bit more extendable, um, and institutions pay for that. And then also funders and governments also license the technology as well. So we get all of the other big players, I guess, uh, to pay. So then we can give it to the end user researchers for free. I like it. Thank you, Alan, very much. to this demonstration. My name is Rachel Ainsworth and today I'm going to be talking about uh, the Turing Way, which is a project to develop a handbook for reproducible data science. Uh, so very briefly about me, um, until three weeks ago I was a researcher in astrophysics. Um, I worked with Luke Dury here at um, Dias in Dublin, but now I am the community manager for the Software Sustainability Institute and I'm a really passionate um, advocate for open science and I'm involved in a lot of different uh, projects such as the Mozilla Open Leaders Program, the Foster Open Science Trainer Bootcamp, um, and then the Turing Way is, is a most recent project that I've gotten involved with. Um, and I also organized a Women in Data meetup group in Manchester. So, very briefly, um, what do we mean when we talk about reproducible research? Well, as a baseline, um, reproducible just means that somebody else can take the same data that you used in your research, take your same analysis, such as your same code, your same scripts, and get the same answer. Um, obviously, it would be more robust if somebody could take the same data but use a different analysis method, um, and then your, your results are replicable if somebody can take different data and use different analysis and get the same answer. But these require lots of time, lots of effort, lots of resources. So as a bare minimum, we, we would like to make it as easy as possible for your research to be reproducible. So what are the barriers to reproducible research? Well, we already mentioned that it takes time. Um, we've talked a lot today about the publication bias towards novel findings. Um, it can be held to a higher standard than others. It's not considered for promotion. Um, you'll have to support additional users if you make your if you make your resources available, and it requires additional skills. And what the Turing Way project hopes to tackle, um, we hope to make it easy for you to have your research reproducible. So we hope to eliminate the time that it takes and train you in the skills that are needed. And then, of course, it's not considered per for promotion, but we hope to help shift the culture so that uh, we value reproducibility just as much as we value the number of papers that you publish. So, uh, the Turing Way is a project to make reproducible research too easy not to do. That's sort of our slogan. It's a collaboration of researchers, research software engineers, and librarians. Um, and in short, the Turing Way encompasses a book, a community, collaboration, workshops, and training. So. Uh, the main output is the book itself, and it's hosted online, it's hosted on Netlify, um, so it's, it's just all HTML uh, rendered, but it will also incorporate um, Jupyter Notebooks launched using Binder, um, which is an open source project for making it easy for others to, re to interact with your notebooks or your analysis through just a, a web browser, a, a link to your, in your web browser. 
Um, we currently have chapters on reproducibility and open research, which really set the tone of why you should learn how to uh, use these skills. Um, and then the, the skills we cover so far are version control, collaborating on GitHub or GitLab, credit for reproducible research, research data management, and then more computational topics such as reproducible environments, testing, reviewing, continuous integration, etc. Um, I find that the most important aspect of this entire project is that we do it all in the open. It's a, it's a collaborative project. We want to involve as many stakeholders as possible. We want it to be as inclusive as possible. So even though the title is that it's a handbook for reproducible data science, I find it's a really good resource just for reproducible research in general. Um, so it's all hosted on GitHub. You can see all of the decision making that we do, and I'll demonstrate this in a little bit more detail, but we really want to generate a community around this project. First being the book. So it's just online, it's just HTML. Uh, we have an introduction landing page. And so each chapter at the top, we have a set of prerequisites, so skills you might need to, to progress in this chapter. So for example, version control and open research are chapters that you might want to have read before you get to this chapter. We have a table of contents where we'll have an introduction and then lots of things that you'll probably recognize from, from this um, conference. So the fair principles and practices, uh, documentation and metadata, sharing your data. Um, and then we also are hoping to incorporate personal experiences and personal stories so that users can identify and see what their pathway is through these skills. So for example, Susanna, um, wrote a section on her personal experience with FAIR um, and it's really nice. It just talks a little bit about her um, and how she incorporates FAIR and, and she has the expertise. Um, and so that's a really nice thing to have. It's something we're looking more towards getting from, from users and from people um, who have expertise on this. We would love for you to contribute to the different chapters. At the end, we have checklists. So for example, don't touch the raw data, back it up somewhere reasonable, um, and keep a read-only copy. Um, you know, basically, these checklists are not only for the researcher working through it, but it's also a checklist that you can hand to their supervisor. So if they don't have time to necessarily read this whole chapter, they can go through a list, you know, check um, that their students or their team members' uh, research complies with everything in the checklist. Or if a journal editor wants to make sure that the research that they're publishing is reproducible, they can also go through a checklist. So we hope to incorporate a lot more of this into the project as well. Um, so we do this all on GitHub. We follow the Mozilla Science Open Leadership Principles. Um, so we, we do all decision making in public um, through issues and pull requests. And we do find that the biggest barrier for folks to get involved is GitHub itself. It can have a steep learning curve, it has a lot of jargon, so we have lots of other ways that you can interact with us as well if that puts you off. Um, but just very briefly, um, all of our content is here within the repository. We have a readme that renders on the first page with easy links to, for example, chat with us in our online and open chat room. We have a newsletter. You can see how many people contribute to the book and then, of course, a link to the book. But this is where we outline the basic information surrounding the project and who's involved and how you can uh, contribute yourself and then lots of ways of getting in touch. And what's amazing so far is that we have, I think, around 60 contributors to the project already. And contributions range from anything to fixing typos, 
to contributing a few paragraphs on your expertise on a topic or even suggesting new topics for new chapters. Um, but we have people contributing with a range of backgrounds, uh, software developers, researchers. We basically want to harness all of the information that everybody needs um, to do open science and reproducible research. Um, so like I said, GitHub tends to be the biggest barrier for people to get involved. We do have another way you can get involved if you just go back to that main landing page. So just the Turing Way um, GitHub page on the Alan Turing Institute uh, GitHub repo. Um, towards the bottom, under contributing, we also have a Google submission form that you can fill out basically telling us what you would like to, to start a conversation about or what you think should be added to the book. So you can tell us about who you are, what issues you've encountered um, regarding reproducibility and research, um, and anything else that you would like to contribute if, if, if GitHub is, is too much of a turnoff for you. So how can you get involved? So you can either directly uh, connect with us on GitHub, either by going through the list of open issues that we have. Um, you can edit existing chapters, or you can suggest topics for new chapters particularly if you can write them. Often we just get a large list of things that we should write, but we would much prefer it if you can suggest something that you can write. Um, and, not, and that's not meant to scare anybody. A chapter can be three paragraphs. You know, what can you write three paragraphs on that relates to reproducible research? Um, and then basically answering the, the fundamental question, what skills or tools do you wish you had been taught at the start of your research career? We just want to compile all that information and make it easy for folks to access. Um, and I mentioned the Google submission form if you want to submit a case study or your tips and tricks. Um, if you have ideas for checklists for um, students, their supervisors, funders, journal editors, um, any key stakeholder, a checklist to help them ensure that the research that they're handling is reproducible. And then we're always looking for creative out-of-the-box ideas. Um, we have collaboration cafes every two weeks. These are virtual, they're all online, like a Zoom meeting room, where if you want to learn about how to get more involved, um, you can come online, chat to us, um, and basically dedicate some time to, to working on the project and contributing on the project. And all contributions are acknowledged. Um, depending on how much you contribute, you can become an author on the book. Um, so, so we greatly appreciate every contribution made, and we acknowledge it. So, hi there, I'm Jonathan England. I work at the University of Luxembourg in the library. Uh, and my role is to promote open science practices uh, in Luxembourg. And I'm also the open air NOAD for, for Luxembourg. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, could you just tell us, please, Jonathan, uh, about the open science quest that you've developed? Yeah, so last year we created um, a gamified uh, activity so that researchers and students could learn about um, open, science, open science practices at their own pace. So we basically had the activity within the library and people could just, um, there was information boards and then the actual quest, so people could just walk around and learn more about open science, but then they could actually participate in, in the quest also and get more information about uh, things like how to find data, for instance, in repositories, 
um, about open access and, and those kind of things, yeah. And uh, what made you think of doing the quest? What was your kind of thought process? So I'm uh, personally a very practical learner, so I need uh, activities, serious games and, and things like that to, um, to better learn about uh, different subjects. Um, and I, I think that people um, learn in, in different ways, so we still organize a lot of seminars and, and talks about uh, things, but I wanted to try and change the way people um, get uh, aware of open science practices. So that's why I created a more uh, entertaining and uh, engaging um, um, learning methods. So could you just walk me through the quest? Yeah, so basically people just entered the, the library and they could see a sign saying that participate in the open science quest. So we tried on attracting them in creating a different type of message, a visual identity to the quest. So basically they could grab a sheet of paper where they had all the information about the quest and so they were welcomed on, on, the, um, on the quest basically. Um, and uh, so they had to go to six different points uh, within the library and at each point you could find information about a different topic and then uh, you had two questions and one activity to do. So for instance, they might uh, have to look on Sherpa Romeo to find the embargo period of... Um, of a specific journal, or they had to uh, learn about persistent identifiers and why it's good to, to have an ORCID ID. Um, uh, there was information about planets, for instance, and things like that. So, so different ways of gathering the, the information and the knowledge. At the end, if they managed to get all the answers, they were awarded the certificates, um, and plus a prize, which was a power bank. <laughs> doing a, a different kind of outro. We have a, our favorite Jonathan guest here again. <laughs> yes. Hi there. You've just heard about the quest and now we wanted to know what you thought of the Open Science Fair 2019. I think, <clears throat> I mean, the um, because I attended two years ago the, the original Open Science Fair and it was quite different from the, um, the one this time where two years ago it was more the traditional type of conference with seminars, whereas this time it was much more focused on specific workshops and there was even a demo of, uh, different, uh, of the different tools that are around open science. So I personally prefer this uh, format. I can understand, I mean, I have a new OpenAI colleague who was a bit lost because she, as you said, you know, didn't have any of this background. So I would say it's not an good introduction to open science if you're not familiar but for me who's been in the game a bit longer not that much longer but you know um, for two years I do feel that other conferences that repeat the same thing all the time are actually boring and I'm not learning new things whereas this one um, it was there was a lot of uh, sessions that were uh, interesting especially on policies actually because um, obviously in Luxembourg we have to create our um, we are creating the national open science policy, so it was interesting and the discussion on planets and things like that. So, I mean, I think there were some absolutely fantastic things being presented at this conference. Some of the tools I saw for researchers were, were brilliant, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to incorporating them 
in the um, you know the communication and, and training that we do for researchers and telling researchers about that. Um, so that was that was really great. And some of the contacts we've made with people um, who are seeing the gaps in open science and and finding ways to create new strategies. Uh, that was really inspiring. Yeah, there was a talk that I saw. I was impressed by the professionality of how they were assessing the needs and incorporating collaborations together. The talk. The, yeah, the, yeah. the Turing way from yeah. the original intro. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for, for me, I mean, because I've done uh, quite a few videos during this conference, it was mostly me being on camera. Um, <laughs> but um, one thing that I, I keep uh, saying in, in the videos was like, it's really the people, you know, you. you get to network with uh, really interesting people and meet some people that you already know, but you learn about their projects and how it's developing. And then you discover completely new projects. So that, that's, um, it's, re it's really nice. And it has this really, um, I don't know, this it, a huge family, basically, the, this open science family. And, uh, yeah. and it's growing. Yeah, 400 exactly. people. Yes, yeah. No, no it's, it, there, there were much more people this year than two years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's what I said on my tweet on the first day. You know, it's 400 people um, all working towards open science in different ways. That's that's a cultural shift. That's a movement. You know, um, that's something that can't be stopped. Yeah. So I think one of my favorite things this morning was when it said, okay, open access, it's, it's the way to go. Everybody has seen that. It's only the question of how to get there. Mm -hmm. And CC Commons and... Um, repositories those are the first steps of we're getting there and that you know that's clear we don't have to discuss that anymore and we don't have to discuss anymore if open access is good or not everybody agrees and it's like yeah. you know that is a yeah. progression mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and i think also it's quite nice to see that there are more researchers also attending the the uh, the events because i was in the persistence identifiers uh, workshop and i think one third were uh, funders and and um one third were librarians and the, the last third were mostly researchers and research managers. So, yeah, it's cool to see that, it's, you know, because obviously it's always the librarians and the funders that are attending, but there is a growing involvement of researchers that are interested in Okay, so thank you for joining us. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be bringing you more interviews from um, people involved in open science that were at this conference over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, as always, the music was uh, composed and produced by uh, Fabio De Miguel and the sound mixing is done by Paolo Oliveira and the Orion Project is funded by the European Union. And you can get in touch on Twitter at OOSP underscore Orion pod or email us at Orion at MDC dash Berlin dot DE. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you and we will be speaking to you soon. Bye. And I'll join the Twitter account because I haven't yet. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> <Yourself also. laughs> yes. Be like Jonathan. <laughs>